BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Was it an oil? And I said, no, it was a powder. She looked into it, she came back and she said, you will not believe this. And I, <laughs> that was always Diana. And I would say, try me. And she said, there's an ingredient in rice called phytic acid. And it brightens the skin and exfoliates it. And I said, wow. And she said, but I think we can even make it better because we could add some enzymes. We can add some botanical extracts. So leave it with me. I'll come back to you. I said, Diana, it has to be a powder because I have a, this tactile feeling of it had something to do with the process. Our marketing team thought it should be a cream. It's the only time I've ever pulled rank. I said, it has to be a powder. They said, Jane, no one's heard of a powder in a skincare product. They'll think it's a talc or a makeup powder. And I said, okay, I've never pulled rank on you, but I am now. I'm the owner and the founder. This is a powder. We're launching it as a powder. And if it bombs in six months' time, we'll relaunch it as a cream. But just trust me. And Daily Microfoliant became our number one product within that year. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hey, Breaking Beauty fam. Welcome back to another episode. We are here together in person. Hey, Carlene. Hi, Jill. So we're sitting in Carlene's hotel room here in West Hollywood in L.A., And we're just on the heels of our interview with an amazing founder that Mm -hmm. we've been wanting to have on the show for so long. And that is Jane Werwin. She's the co-founder of Dermalogica. Jill, I know you were beyond excited. I think it's no secret. At one point, we had to slow your roll. We were like, Jill, the amount of Dermalogica (laughs) products that you recommend... I know. Because you just, you have been Slow a stand my role forever. or get on their payroll. Right? Which one? <laughs> I will be happy with either. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, I've been a Dermalogica stand forever. I mean, right from when I started as a beauty editor, my skin just likes their products. Yeah. And special cleansing gel I've been using forever. The microfoliant forever. It's, you know, those products are just always in my shower. Pre-cleanse. I know. It's, I can't quit you. I feel like this is why it was such a dream come true for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we really felt honored because Dermalogica invited us to Los Angeles to host us at their headquarters for an exclusive beauty podcast. And this all coincides with the launch of Jane's brand new book. It's called Skin in the Game. Everything you need is already inside you. And Carlene, I was talking to you about the book, which mm-hmm. I read cover to cover. And, you know, of course, there's tons of tips and advice in there to find your own purpose, to drive your own success. She talks 
about so many lessons she learned about starting a business on a shoestring budget of $14,000 and self-funded it and created this multi-million dollar international empire. But I really liked the whole personal side that she Mm -hmm. revealed, the pictures, the anecdotes, and she's just so good at that. Yeah, she is. And that's why, honestly, like people, the skin therapists, they hang on her every word. She's like a professional public- Ted talker. Yeah, Ted talk. She (laughs) is. And you are inspired. You're you're like, yes, I am going to change my life, Jane. (laughs) She's got a big heart and she wants to help people to succeed. So it's no surprise that 100% of all the profits from sales of the book are being donated to Found LA. It's a fund that mentors and offers incubator programs and educational resources for local entrepreneurs who have been underserved and overlooked. Yeah. And Found LA is something that Jane personally founded Mm -hmm. in 2018. So all of that being said, it's really great. And I think it's a good time for this book. You and I were saying as well, like it's just this moment where people are reflecting, resetting Mm -hmm. and figuring out like, oh, I actually hate what yeah. I'm doing every day. So yeah. what do I do next? But but Jill, what was it like to like sit in front of Jane, like one of your, not like an official mentor, but like yeah. someone you look up to. So I think you were a little nervous because there was a, <laughs> a bit of a moment oh, there. behind the scenes, guys. <laughs> so keep in mind, this is our first interview in about two years, face to face. So it's like, it is a whole thing when we take our show on the road. Right. There's equipment, there's cords, mm-hmm. there's a suitcase. And then there's always the nerves that like the thing's not going to record. Right. Like back to our editorial days and you'd think the the tape recorder was never going to turn on. So they had us set up in this theater, which was wonderful, and a table. And we were sitting on opposite sides. We were all set up. She, She was mere moments from walking in this room. And literally, you guys, I went to pour... No, I went to move my computer. And the pitcher of water that was on the table spilled the entire thing. Yeah. And so I frantically moved my computer out of the way. Nothing got wet miraculously. Equipment wise. Yeah. Yeah. Mercury in retrograde moment that happened. But thankfully someone was looking out for me because my computer nor my phone was ruined. Our equipment wasn't Mm -hmm. ruined because it had that been ruined, the interview wouldn't have happened. And it's just a shit show. But you know what? If you're going to spill water all over a table, you do it at the Dermalogica headquarters where they have towels everywhere. Yeah, and, and sheets and sheets. Yeah, So like, true. You know, so we got past that and she walked in the room and she never knew anything happened, but she's going to know now. Yeah, yeah. And so I think if for anybody out there who doesn't know, you know, Dermalogica really revolutionized the kind of salon and spa skincare scene. Yeah. I mean, just compared to the other, you know, kind of the French and the European brands, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. People who go and get their facials, they love their products, but none of them like hit the mainstream yeah. and ha- just kind of went wild the mm-hmm. way that Dermalogica did. And so many people are so familiar with their iconic products and they've been kind of unisex since day one. They've mm-hmm. been minimalist and and quote unquote clean since day one. Yeah, And it's really stood the test of time and they don't fall for trends. They kind of just... They're just like, we just are who we are. And that's because their focus has always been, it's really serious mm-hmm. about skin education. and education and that piece. And in fact, before, Derm- this is what I learned, you guys are going to hear about this later, but before Dermalogica launched their products in 1986, they launched the International Dermal Institute in 1983. And that was to train skin therapists on how to do facials. And that didn't really exist in like a proper setting. So you're going to hear all about that, but I just think that's what sets them apart. And myself as a beauty editor, I remember going to the International Dermal Institute in Toronto so many times. Yeah. 
instead of traditional skin events to learn about ingredients. Hit me with that stratum corneum. You know, right? (laughs) And I was like- The horny layer. I learned about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a real thing, guys. Google it. But it's true. And it Mm -hmm. helped me out as a beauty editor because it helped me to understand, you know, what I was writing about. And so I, you know, thank you. So not only did they host us at the headquarters and we got all these great behind the scenes pictures, but then we headed off to their swanky new West Hollywood spa location. Hallelujah. I hadn't had a facial in two years. I got every pore extracted with this giant spatula-like vibrating device. And it was truly amazing. I felt like I could feel the gunk leaving my pores. And then I was under an LED light for 10 minutes and it really helped with all my acne scarring and everything. My skin looked amazing. So props to Jordan Mm. on that front. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Dermalogica, I mean, it just keeps kind of going and growing. Unilever had acquired the brand in 2017, but they still like have stayed the same. You know what I mean? Sometimes that happens and everything changes. Like Jane's still there. Education's still key, major key. And like they're sold in over 42,000 doors, salons, retailers now. So in today's episode, you're going to hear very personal stories about Jane's formative years growing up in Scotland. Honestly, it was so moving and kind of shocking. I had goosebumps. She'll also share how a trip to Japan inspired Dermalogica's iconic daily microfoliant exfoliating powder we all know and love, celebrating 20 years this year, along with her thoughts on diversity and inclusion in the skincare space moving into the next skincare era. And the trends that she thinks need to go. So stay tuned to our Instagram, everyone over at Breaking Beauty Podcast because we're announcing a very special giveaway of a signed copy mm-hmm. of Jane's book for one of our lucky listeners. And I think there's probably going to be some skincare swag in the mix too. So be sure to follow along over there. So without further ado, here she is. Welcome, Jane. This episode is brought to you in part by Talkspace. So I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but I often talk about the way that the pandemic created the next great wall, a division within families, if you will. It certainly did with mine, which is why I'm a little bit more stressed out about this upcoming holiday than I have been with holidays past. But we want to be together. We still love each other, of course. So here's what I'm thinking. How about this year, instead of reaching for another eggnog, we reach for online therapy instead with Talkspace. I know I'm a believer. And what I love about Talkspace is that they make it so easy to be matched with a licensed therapist or to schedule a session. Because I know how sometimes that gap between the ideas idea of going to see a therapist and actually getting in with a therapist can seem like too much. Talkspace has a very secure and professional process working around your schedule at your convenience with live video sessions and unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist. And what they're going to do is they're going to help you set goals with a Talkspace therapist and develop techniques to cope in difficult times. Bring it on. So if you need a little support to help you through the end of the year or want to start building toward a better upcoming year, Talkspace is here to help. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code BEAUTY. That's $100 off when you use code BEAUTY at Talkspace.com. We'll link to that offer in our blog and in our show notes. And now back to today's guest. I know fans have been asking you to write a book for so long. So why did you think 
now was the time? Was it the pandemic? Like, what was it all about? So it was actually an incredible opportunity. And what I've written the book about, which I honestly had no idea this was going to be so prescient now in 2021 going into 2022. But it's a bit of a habit of mine, even with product, I would develop things that were a little bit ahead of where they Mm. should have been. And then everyone thought, oh, no, a powder exfoliator is a great idea. Yes. So I decided I want to write a book for people who are looking at their lives, at their careers and saying, you know what? It's not that I'm necessarily unhappy, but I want to do more. Mm. I don't feel this is my biggest self. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if I want to restart or redirect, or maybe I'm just being crazy. Maybe I'm just not easily satisfied, but am I really hitting my purpose? And so I talk about that and I talk about how I found mine and I talk about exercises and practical tips and how do you know if you really hit the heat of your life message Mm -hmm. and I give practical tips what did you love to do between the ages of nine and 12 Mm. and I explain why that's important and how it links back to who you are and what are your greatest adversities because it's not necessarily the things that happened well for us that define us it's the adversities and the challenges and Mm-hmm. the really awful things. And how do we turn that into a strength and not a flaw? And if you have a flaw, is that also your strength? And the answer is yes. And so it's all about that. And I, and now it's being published, you know, in 20, end of 2021 here in the States and in, and in Europe and Australia, et cetera. And everyone is talking about this great reset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In America, we're calling it the great resignation because so many people are not going back to the jobs they had. They don't want to. Right. And I thought to myself, you know what? They're having a reset like I had a reset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this the heat of my life? Is this what I should be doing? Yeah. And I don't agree with this new normal. We're going into the new next. We've gone through an industrial social revolution. And I believe this book was written by me, if you want coincidence that it happened at the end of this pandemic, I honestly believe it's going to be a very important read for a lot of people. You know what? I think you're absolutely hitting on something. And I took a call just a few weeks ago from somebody randomly in the UK who reached out to me and said, I'm looking for a career move. I'm looking for something. And I just wanted to talk to somebody that seems to kind of be passionate about their, what they're doing yeah. and was really looking for essentially what's in this book. And I will email her and Please. say, absolutely. So I think you're dead on as you often are about so many things. And I know this is not a memoir, but I think people will want to know a little bit about your history when you yeah. were a kid yeah. and what influenced you. Because you did say yeah. sometimes it was adversity. And yeah. I know you had a unique bringing with your mom. So tell us about that. Yeah, thank you. I had an amazing childhood. I had a a magical childhood. And that's the way I tell it. And that's how it felt and feels to me. But if I tell this, when I tell the story, I know people are like, what? That doesn't sound magical to me at all. But from that childhood came so much inspiration for what I was going to do. And the reality of my childhood was I was two years old, when my father died, suddenly of a heart attack. My mother was 38 years old. I was the youngest of four girls. So she had four girls. And she had not worked since she had got married. And suddenly, over a weekend, my dad was 50 years old. She was 38. 
over a weekend, she had to figure out how is she going to keep us together. They didn't have a, a nest egg. There was no trust fund. My dad was, didn't leave, you know, a great deal of money. In fact, they just bought their first house and he had the mortgage insurance in his pocket unsigned. Oh so they gosh. didn't even have insurance on the mortgage. So my mom was a trained nurse. She went mm. straight back to work. She called a friend who worked at the Western General Hospital in, in Edinburgh, Scotland, where I'm from, and said, Pat, I, I need a job. I mean, what can you help me? And her friend who was the matron of the hospital said, I can give you a night shift. And she said, that's great because, you know, Jane's still little. She's only two. And my older sisters would be able to take care of me. when. So it was a patchwork quilt of care. She worked from seven in the evening till seven in the morning. Mm. my sisters were home and my elder sister was then 15. So they took care of, of us, <laughs> the rest of us. And, and then my mom got home at seven. My sisters would then be getting up, get ready for school, go to school. My mom would be with me. And she would, I now realize, you know, listen with mother, we'd listen on the radio and we'd both have a nap. And I realized it was because my mom really needed a nap. You know, this was her time. So she would catch sleep during the day. And my sisters came home at about 3.30 from school. She would sleep for another couple of hours. And then my sisters would get dinner organized and my mom would go to work. And that carried on. Mm. Wow. And then when I, in Scotland, you start school at four and a half. So when I was four and a half, I started school. I had to walk to school and my mum tied, she gave me, she and I had a secret. She tied the key to our back door around my neck mm. on a soft cotton string. I can see it and feel it now. It was like white, soft cotton string, so it wasn't scratchy or itchy. And we tucked it into my school uniform and she said, this is our secret. You never tell anyone that you have a key around your neck. You never come in the front door you go around the back mm. you open the door you don't play outside we had this ritual and I was very trusted I felt empowered by my mom saying that we had a secret I was like a big girl I could do this and I walked to school and I came home and I let myself in and I would have about an hour and a half until my sisters got home from school because their school ended later and in that time I played dress up you know I played dress up. I was a princess. I was Rapunzel. I used to take one of my sister's petticoats, their slips with elastic around the waist and I'd put it over my hair and it hung down my neck and I'd run around the house swinging my <laughs> hair. You know, and I was in these full on fantasy games until my sisters came home and then, you know, I had to sort of, you know, do other things. And I remember that as a magical time. I was trusted. I was strong. And yet, I realize now, and I talk about this in the book, I was four and a half. Yes. I was scared. And those fantasies distracted me from the loneliness and, and not being able to tell anyone this was happening. So I talk about all of this in yeah. the book. Yeah. And the fact that Eve, I could tell that as a very tragic story. Mm -hmm. And I don't because I actually figured out a way, and I talk about how I did that, to kind of convince myself that I would be okay, I could be okay, if I could just be in control. I was trusted with this one key. I could have some control over what I was doing. I felt I could control what happened to me, which obviously is crazy. You can never control your life. <laughs> you can only control your response to it. 
But I learned that right there. So I know in your book, you talk a lot about your mom and the Mm -hmm. importance of her instilling in you a skill set, be able to do something. And I know you took that to heart because you went into a hair salon and you got your first job at 13. Like, is that even legal, Jane? Like, I don't know. (laughs) So tell us, you know, how you started there and then you eventually got into skincare and training in skincare. Yeah. So we moved to England uh, when I was about nine years old because my grandfather was sick and my mum wanted to nurse him in the last. He had Parkinson's and she wanted to be there to nurse him, which she did. So we moved to England and when I was about 12, I wanted to earn pocket money. There was no extra money in our house. So there was no allowance or anything like that. You did the chores and you didn't get paid. That yeah, was how it was. That's my reality too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I wanted to get a job and the only job you could get was a paper round. Mm. So I did that and I absolutely hated it. it you know, a winter in, in Britain is bloody awful. And, mm. and I couldn't balance the bag on the back of my bike and the papers would get away. It was a nightmare. It wasn't for me. So I didn't know what else I could do. And someone at my school said to me, they had it on good authority that the local hairdresser would employ you underage to just do the laundry. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm definitely going in. So I walked into that hair salon. I was 13 years old. I was in my school uniform. And I walked up to the front desk and I said to the person who's very glamorous blonde, are you looking for someone to help on a Saturday perhaps? And, And they said, they didn't say no, which is a good sign. They kind of looked at me and they said, well, how old are you? And I was in my school uniform and I thought, and there's a picture of me in the book at this age. So you can see, I honestly couldn't have lied. I didn't look any older. And I thought they could call my mum too and check. So I just <laughs> said, I'm 13, but I am excellent at doing the laundry. I'm a very good, you know, problem solver. I'm sure I didn't use that word. I can go get people lunch. I can tidy up and I'll do whatever you ask me. And I'm really reliable. On the strength of that, they hired me. And and my job was in the back room, doing the laundry, doing the cleanup, getting everyone lunch, getting the stylist lunch, getting everyone's whatever they wanted Mm -hmm. from, you know, Tampax to prescriptions. Mm -hmm. I got I knew everyone's backstory within, you know, six months. And I wasn't allowed to be seen by the clients because it wasn't legal to employ me. But when I turned 15 and a half, I was promoted and taught how to shampoo a head of hair Mm -hmm. because I could be seen by the clients. And now I was out front on the main floor of the salon and I fell in love with the industry Mm. and then hired what was called a beauty therapist. I, of course, call our work skin therapy. But this beauty therapist joined our staff and I, when I saw what she did and she gave me help and advice and told me about the skin and makeup and she did my makeup for me, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So when yeah. I finished high school, I went straight to study skincare. So this whole path on skincare, it eventually led you to South Africa. So mm-hmm. tell us about that experience and how you came to meet your husband, Raymond. I emigrated to South Africa in 1978. And Britain was in a really difficult economic situation. we just come through the three-day week and the miners' strike. So I wanted to go somewhere warmer. I was fed up with the weather. And the South African government offered assisted passage for £40. You could, if you met the requirements of one of the jobs, the skills they needed, you could get a a two-year contract to go and emigrate, which I did. And the skills they wanted were all vocational skill set trade. So the number one they wanted was a butcher. 
Number two was a patissera. Don't mm. even know, think I knew what that was. <laughs> number three was a hairstylist. Mm. And number four was a beauty therapist. And it went on. I thought, great, ticks the box. They had enough doctors and pharmacists and attorneys, but they didn't have skilled workers. And I went to work for Redken, which was an American company, hair care and skin care. And my boss's boss was Raymond Werwent. Mm-hmm. And he and I worked together for two years. We had a great respect for each other. We were not in a relationship other than a work relationship until we were. And I tell that story too. And uh, yeah, it was, I've always told my children and when I teach, I tell people, you meet people, sometimes it's a very chance meeting or someone walks into a room and, but you get a feeling in your stomach, this person is significant. There's, mm-hmm. there's something about this person. I feel like I need to introduce myself or I feel like we're going to be friends. Mm-hmm. Or you maybe you talk to someone on the phone and you think, wow, I could be that per- I could tell that person was like, I know them. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. I don't believe any of those experiences are random. And because I now trust that feeling, I always follow up on it. Okay. And I followed up with Raymond. I just knew this person's significant. I thought he was going to be significant because we worked together and and we were learning. I was learning a lot. I was being mentored by a lot of people in the company. And now I realize, of course, it was a life connection mm. that I was going to have with him. Mm-hmm. So, And if I had to start another business, I wouldn't start it with anyone else. Yeah. He, yeah. And I worked together great. And thank goodness we have a great relationship and two great kids. That's yeah. amazing. Somehow I feel like this is, doesn't happen on Bumble. <laughs> <laughs> Pausing to share a word from one of our show partners. So who remembers their first gateway skincare product? For me, it was definitely Cetaphil Gentle Skin Cleanser back in the day. I remember it was the holy grail, always recommended by Derms, and it was always in the pages of my favorite teen magazines at the time. And personally, I appreciated that it didn't make my skin look red and rough. I was always prone to mild rosacea even back then. And plus, I could find it at my local drugstore, so it didn't break the bank. Fast forward all these years later, and Cetaphil still going strong as the gold standard for many with sensitive skin. We recently interviewed one of their partner dermatologists, Dr. Laurel Garrity, and it was a really interesting chat. She talked all about sensitive skin causes, symptoms, and solutions. And she really identified how there's these five clear signs of skin sensitivity. That's weakened skin barrier, irritation, roughness, tightness, and dryness. I believe that was episode 191. I learned so much. So Cetaphil has been caring for sensitive skin for nearly 75 years and has been trusted by dermatologists for decades. As part of their ongoing commitment to science-backed skincare, Cetaphil recently revealed new formulations for five of their most beloved products, including that gentle skin cleanser, to better meet the needs of even the most sensitive skin types. They've got a fresh new look and reformulations with updated ingredients like vitamin B3, vitamin B5, and hydrating glycerin. So visit Cetaphil.com for more information or check out Cetaphil's Instagram and Facebook feeds at Cetaphil US. That's their handle. We'll link to that in our show notes and on our website. Now back to the show. So you did start Dermalogica together (laughs) and you emigrated to the US. So tell us how that came about because I understand that it was a very different scene at the time in terms of spas and salons and what was going on. So how did you kind of come up with this? So what happened was Raymond and I were both very committed to leaving South Africa because of the apartheid situation and it was becoming more and more intolerable. 
And so Raymond already had a plan. He had been in process for a green card for the United States way before I met him. And it's years in the process. And uh, suddenly he got it. And we had just started dating somewhat secretly, which there's photographs in the book that say we're trying to be secret, but we really weren't that good at it. (laughs) Anyway, and he said, look, I've been in process and I've just been given 90 days to appear in the States. I have to get my green card there and I don't know what to do. And I said, you're going, you're going. Mm. And he said, I know. And I said, listen, it's like the golden ticket in the Willy Wonka's chocolate bar. You don't say no. You grab the ticket and run to the chocolate factory as fast mm-hmm. as you can. And I said, no, I'll figure I'll figure it out. I, I won't get into the States. It's too hard. So I was working for Redkin. I came over on a business trip. Two months after Raymond had got here, we reconnected and I'd made a decision. I'm, I'm emigrating. I'm getting here. We're going to decide how difficult can it be. It's very difficult to do it that way. So Went and met an attorney, an immigration attorney, walked in at five o'clock in the afternoon and we both said, Raymond was with me in LA and I said, I'm not leaving your office until you figure out a way for me to get here legally on a visa. Mm. And we sat in his office till midnight Mm. and we figured out a way to do it and it was going to be an intercompany transfer. And This story is actually not in the book. It's one Mm. of the things I didn't put in the book. I'm actually a bit nervous it might not be legal at all. So (laughs) it was legal at the time. Set up a company, transferred myself into the company and came and thought, I'm going to, you know, work as a freelance skin therapist. I'm going to get a job in a salon. There will be tons of skincare Mm -hmm. salons, of course. It's America. Mm -hmm. It's Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Everyone's getting their skincare Mm -hmm. treatment every three minutes, I thought. And of course, that was not true. There are only seven states out of 50 that even had a license. California was one. But all the salons that I could have got a job in seemed to all be in Beverly Hills or Madison Avenue in New York. It was a very elite niche and dominated by European trained therapists. And so I could have said, well, I'm going to go work in one of these great salons in Beverly Hills. And um, I had the training and the skills to do it. But what resonated with Raymond and myself, because we both come through the industry, was why is this industry not better established? And what we realized was there was no training. Mm. There was no one was doing training to the degree that they were in Europe. It was a few hundred hours and it was tacked on in most states to a cosmetology license, which was a hairdressing license. And you had maybe 60 or 90 hours of skincare training. But everyone typically wanted to become a hairdresser, not a skin Mm. therapist. So it was an afterthought. And so we said, this is the opportunity, is education. If I can teach what I already know how to do and upskill those therapists. Is there a market for it? Would they come? And I tell the story of how we figured that out in the book. And yes, of course, there was a need by the consumer. And so therefore, there was a market. And it took off like a rocket. And three years later, we realized there was no American salon product line. Mm -hmm. And that was a big opportunity. And we developed Dermalogica. We read in your book that you created the entire skin lineup, 27 debut products in a single afternoon. Think about this. This was 35 years ago and the products were free from, you know, mineral oil, SD alcohol, lanolin, artificial color, fragrance, and formaldehyde. So a lot of the things that we see on free from list now, 35 years ago. And so that was just radically different at the time. But like, how did you create all of those products in an <laughs> afternoon? That just sounds... You know. All the product briefs and you yeah. know, you're like, you knew exactly what they were at. The yeah. skin so, therapist needed. So I had students asking me, what products should we use? We love the techniques. We're getting clients. They're coming back. What products should we use? And I said, well, what products do you use now? And they were using 
European products that they were importing and paying a lot of, of excess mm. customs and, and taxes for. And I said, why are you not using a local American product? They said, "There, which one? And there wasn't one because right. the American products were dominant in the retail market, which was department stores and drug stores, but not in the salon professional mm. market. So Raymond and I had this epiphany at the same time. And he said, we should do a product. And I said, I, yeah, but we can't make a product. How are we going to make a product? I mean, these mythical stories of people making products in their bathtub. I don't know how the hell they do it because I, <laughs> we didn't do that. So I said, how do we do it? He said, look, can you write the product briefs? I mean, mm-hmm. in other words, could you say, I need a creamy cleanser that washes off with water? And I said, well, yeah, I don't know how to make that, but I know what I want. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, Write down the product briefs. You've got a blank page, dream products. What would it be? And I thought, okay, I'm just going to do it. So I wrote down like a wish list. Mm -hmm. And then we had to find a chemist that could make it. And how do we own the formulas? And I mean, it's all in the book. It's a long story, which is obviously why I wrote a book and didn't just (laughs) talk about it. So it actually took us about nine months to develop the formulas. And then we had working names. We, de- we had not named them. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, a clay cleanser, a water-soluble creamy cleanser, a foaming cleanser. So they were just working sort of perfunctory names. And we found a chemist. And again, the details in skin <laughs> game. And figured out a way that we we're going to pay him because we had no money. That was the other thing. But we had no plan B. We were so bloody excited about this. We had to figure this out. Ray would say to me, Jane, We've got 24 hours in a day. We've got at least 16 hours that we're awake. We can, surely to God, we can figure this out. And I said, yes. I mean, we just if we do nothing else, we'll figure out how we're going to find someone to make this and we're going to do it. So I wrote the briefs. Raymond was trying to get product packaging. We could not take minimum, the minimum runs were 25,000 of a unit. And we didn't want jars. I wanted tubes and contamination-free packaging because I thought the whole idea of jars and sticking your fingers in it was disgusting, which it is. Mm-hmm. And so he was busy hustling, trying to find packaging. We were taking odd runs of packaging that no one else wanted, tubes that they had an odd 500 of them. He would go, he was running around LA buying this packaging. Then we had to screen it and we had to name the product. So in order, Ray said to me, Jane, we've got to name the products because it's like three months notice to screen these. We need the names of the product and we need to write the copy. We need the ingredients and the copy and the directions. And I said, oh my, okay, when do we need it by? And I'm not kidding. I think it was a Thursday. He said, we need everything by Monday. Wow. And we had 27 formulas. So I said, okay, all right. Well, look, uh, the working name of the skin scrub is skin scrub. So I'm going to say skin prep scrub. Prep skin, (laughs) right? Skin prep scrub. That's a name. Good. Put it down. I love the cleansing gel. It's so special. It's special cleansing gel. Write that one down. It was as crazy as that. And I said, the eye makeup remover doesn't irritate the eyes because it's no perfume. It's soothing eye makeup remover. (laughs) We had boosters and serums where no one was even using those names. And everyone said to me when we launched serum, well, that's like a weird name. And I said, well, but it's like a silky liquid. And they said, it sounds like a body fluid. And I said, well, listen, we've printed it now. So it's serum. Wow. I know. And we were pressured to not call boosters and serums because 
people thought it was a weird name. Now, I mean, you can't shake a stick without a serum falling out yes. of a bush. So <laughs> that naming process was one afternoon. Mm. And then we wrote the briefs. And the ingredients we were, I mean, I guess you would call it clean skin now. I don't like the word beauty, so you know, I won't say clean beauty. And it was clean, but it was very practical because I'm allergic to lanolin mm-hmm. and I have eczema. So mm. I couldn't use lanolin, couldn't use fragrance, couldn't use color. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to create a product line that I can't use. Mm-hmm. So I have to tailor around what I want. Mm-hmm. And it was a labor of love. And I took the products, the sample bench samples into the school because I was teaching. The students used them. I asked them for their feedback. It, everything was like a working kitchen, you know. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you think of the massage cream? And they said, no, not enough slip and glide. I said, no, I agree. Put it under the steam and see if that helps it oh yeah that helps it but now it stings a bit I said okay fine then forget that put that down I'm bringing another one next week so it was hectic and fantastic and I don't know if I could ever do it again but I'm so glad we did it it Mm. was an amazing process every single product was like our baby it was like we birthed it unbelievable hello today's show is brought to you in part by Nutrafol So the last time I had a gaggle of girls over, I was surprised to learn that pretty much everyone was taking beauty supplements of some kind. And I mean, taking care of your skin from the inside out, it's a fantastic idea. But where I think supplements are really kicking ass right now is in the area of hair to help with hair loss. It's happening. Wake up, America. 30 million women have experienced weaker thinning hair. So if you're among them, you're definitely not alone. Thousands of women have seen results both in their hair and in their confidence with Nutrafol, the supplement I've been taking every morning. Nutrafol actually offers two formulas for women that have both been clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less fallout. I'm taking Women's Balance. It addresses the hormonal shifts that start to happen when you reach your 40s. And healthier hair takes time. In one clinical study, after around six months, 86% of women reported improved hair growth. And that's why it's been recommended by over 1,500 doctors. It's actually physician formulated, even though it is 100% drug-free. It just uses super-powered botanicals. And here's a bonus. I always notice an improvement in my nails when I take Nutrafol. So that's great going into the winter season. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BEAUTY to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code BREAKING. We'll link to that offer in our show notes and on our blog. And now back to Jane. And even the name you said, like people were like, what? Oh, yeah, that was, yeah, because what are we going to call the product? And, you know, I was not going to call it after myself. I found that dated. That was all the European products. They were all named after somebody who generally was dead. Elena Rubenstein, Elizabeth Harden. That was then. And I wanted something fresh. And I said, we're going to be an American product. It has to be fresh. It has to be relevant. It has to be modern. It has to be, you know, we need a hybrid between a skincare product and a medical product. It's almost like a quasi-pharmaceutical product. Mm. And I said, so it's like a cosmeceutical product. And so it should reflect that. So Ray said, well, pharmaceutical names, his dad was a trained chemist. Pharmaceutical names are Latin. And I learned Latin in school, so did Ray. So he said, what's, I mean, 
what about something Latin? And I said, okay, I like, I like that idea. What? And he said, well, what's Latin for skin? And I said, derma. And he said, okay, derma. That's good, right? Derma, skin, derma. I said, you can't say skin, skin. So we had these kind of yeah. conversations. So he, I said, it must make sense. It's got to be like serious, like gravitas, sound pharmaceutical. And he said, well, so it makes sense. It's logical. And I said, yeah, exactly. Like, it's logical. He said, dermalogical. And I said, dermalogical. He said, no, it shouldn't end with a consonant. It should end with a vowel. Dermalogica. And I said, dermalogica. Can people say it? And he said, I think it sounds medical. They'll think it's dermatology. And I said, okay, dermalogica. Is it two words? And he said, maybe the L's capitalized. I said, write it down. We wrote it down. I said, it looks better without, without the capital. But let's use all lowercase. That looks good, don't you think? He said, yeah. Dermalogica, dermalogica. Because everyone started saying dermatologica. We said the T is silent. Right, right. <laughs> dermalogica. Yes. And we launched. That was yeah. the name. And okay, I'm, I'm going to share this story with my husband who loves dermalogica because he often would call it dermalogical. And I'm going to say, <laughs> you know what? You were not that far off, actually. He was not that far off. That's right. But you created so many special products and, you know, serums was a first and everything. But I really want to zone in on the daily microfoliant because mm -hmm. that was so unique at the time. I mean, we talk about waterless beauty now and there are, there's a kind of a boom in powder formulas, but that was very unique at the time. And that wasn't part of the original no. 27 products. Right. No, no. Celebrating like 20 years. This yeah, year. exactly. I was teaching all over the world then because Dermalogica had launched all over the world. And I, I was teaching in Japan for several weeks and I was really burned out because I had done South Korea, Taiwan and Japan in one trip and we needed a new product. We used to launch about two products a year and we needed a hero product. So I decided instead of just getting on the plane and flying back, I'd go to an onsen, a hot mineral spring in Japan in a town called Hakone where the mineral springs are. Now I love the culture in Japan. I love the country and the food and the culture and I love the language, although I don't speak a word of it. So I decided if I go to an onsen, a retreat for five days, I think I'm going to have a brilliant idea. So I did it. And I tell this story in the book where absolutely nothing brilliant came to me in the entire five <laughs> days. And I, and, you know, I just, it was like writer's block. I couldn't even kind of get, I was just like, and I was forcing it. It was because I was trying to force creativity and you can't mm -hmm. schedule creativity. Mm -hmm. It just pops into your head. You know, people say, oh, I have such great ideas in the shower or yes. in the loo or, you know, when I'm doing something. Driving. Yeah, of course you do because you're allowing your creative brain to have a little rest and it will come mm. out like a tortoise. And I use that analogy. So on the two and a half hour drive back to Tokyo from Hakone in a taxi, which was exorbitantly expensive, I, I was just kind of going over and thinking, God, I just didn't come up with anything. I'm going to get back and say, I have nothing. Nada. <sighs> okay, well, let me at least think about what happened to me while I was there because I journal. And one of the things that kept coming back to me was Something that happened in the afternoons at the spa, you had a ritual treatment given to you by one of the therapists there. And it was a, a body treatment, typically not a skincare treatment. And it was oils, it was massages, it was acupressure, it was the mineral spring. And one afternoon, a woman came with a wooden bucket, a little wooden pail with a scoop and a white powder in it. And she very ritualistically applied this to my skin 
my skin was damp and she applied it in small concentric circles and it was painstaking and I thought oh my goodness I can't I want you know I want to be scrubbed tubbed and rubbed I don't really want I don't know what she's doing here with this powder but it was like I, I didn't quite know what it was and afterward I my skin felt amazing and the next day went back again and I asked her we didn't speak common language but I pointed into the bucket and kind of said you know shrug my shoulders like you know what is this mm-hmm. and she said something and I had no clue what she said and then I, I kept pointing to it and asking shrugging my shoulders and asking and in the end she kind of held up her finger like wait a minute and then went away and came back and showed me a bowl of rice and I pointed to the powder and then to the rice and kind of said is that it nodding my head and she's nodded vigorously I thought oh it must be ground rice Anyway, I came back with this idea and I sat with Dr. Diana Howard, who was then our head of R&D, and I said to Diana, you know, I had this treatment, Diana. I think there's something in it. It was like a rice powder. And she said, what did it do? And I said, well, my skin felt amazing and it really looked glowy, like brighter. I can't really describe it. She said, was it an oil? And I said, no, it was a powder. She looked into it, she came back and she said, you will not believe this. And I, <laughs> that was always Diana. And I would say, try me. (laughs) And she said, there's an ingredient in rice called phytic acid and it brightens the skin and exfoliates it. And I said, wow. And she said, but I think we can even make it better because we could add some enzymes. We can add some botanical extracts. Leave it with me. I'll come back to you. I said, Diana, it has to be a powder because I have this tactile feeling of it had something to do with the process. Our marketing team thought it should be a cream. It's the only time I've ever pulled rank. I said, it has to be a powder. They said, Jane, no one's heard of a powder in a skincare product. Mm-hmm. That They'll think it's a talc or a makeup powder. And I said, okay, I've never pulled rank on you, but I am now. I'm the owner and the founder. This is a powder. We're launching it as a powder. And if it bombs in six months' time, we'll relaunch it as a cream. Mm-hmm. But just trust me. And... Daily Microfoliant became our number one product within that year. And it's still what number one or number two product, depending mm. on the market. But it's a, a hero and a cult product. Yeah, love it. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And happy birthday, Microfoliant. Thank you. <laughs> birthday DM. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, get with the program, but you put a little bit in your hand and you add a little bit of water. How much water? Well, here's the thing. You, I actually wet my hands first. This is a secret hack mm. for DM, yes. daily microfoliant. I wet my hands first. I then, even if I'm in the shower, okay, then I just damp my hands. Out of the shower stream, I then shake the, a little bit of the powder. I mm-hmm. would say about the size of a, an American quarter mm-hmm. coin, about the size of a grape, but not the circular Not a mound. Size, not yeah. a mound, right. Mm-hmm. And then spread it between your damp hands mm-hmm. and then onto the skin. Yeah, and it's a beautiful little lather. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's a gorgeous product. An ancient technique, mm-hmm. modernized, you know, by what we can do with science and, and chemistry. And, and the powder form is important because I really feel as you're applying it, there's a ritualization of touching your own skin too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. I think it's an alchemy of the body electric. And it's also one of our first products to go fully refillable. We just introduced a refillable pouch for the mm-hmm. daily microfoliant. We're repackaging because oh, one excellent. of our big pushes, as big as we were in clean formulations, mm-hmm. we're really focusing on sustainability now. And mm-hmm. you're know, going to see a lot of changes in our packaging as a result. That's amazing. So you have been in, in the industry for over 35 years because you really started before. And so what do you think has gotten better and what do you think has 
gotten worse? What a great question. I've been in the industry my whole life mm. from 13 years old. I'm now 63. So it is a whole life. I'm always optimistic about our industry. What I think has got better, first of all, I think the thing that is fantastic is that people are now finally understanding that skincare is a critical part of our self-care and it's not selfish. Mm-hmm. It's not indulgent. It's not decorative. And for me, that is like a huge mission accomplished. And I really want to make sure we stay on that track. It's not medicine. It's not beauty. We have our own lane. And our lane is this lane of self-care and making sure that you're caring for the largest organ of the human body, which is your skin, with as much care as we give our teeth, as we give our nutrition, as we give any other part of our body. And so for that, I think it's great. I'm enthusiastic about the new people coming into our industry. We must make sure, you know, we all like to think, oh, this was my technique, my idea. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. You know, we take things, we innovate. And so we have to always make space at the table to make sure everyone is included. Diversity and inclusion. Everyone needs to be at the table because if we don't have all voices joining in, even those we disagree with, we end up with a very incestuous Mm -hmm. pot of stew. You know, we need to get outside influences. And I think that's great. We have the opportunity to do it in real time, whether it's virtually or hopefully soon in person, we can do that. The things I'm not happy about, I'm not happy when I see outrageously expensive treatments, especially in spas, especially in hotel spas. I'm going to be blunt. If I go to stay at hotel spa and it's $295 for a skin treatment, that's a luxury and that's an indulgence. And I think we need to democratize everything we do and make it accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. Like dental care, it shouldn't be exclusive. You can, if you have Invisalign or you have cosmetic treatments on your teeth, that may be something that's a little bit more, you know, exclusive. But we should all be able to get a toothbrush and a toothpaste. And I, I want skincare to be democratized. I'm also not happy that we continue to use the word beauty. And, you know, I know I've, I'm, it's always been a bit of a stick point for me because I, it's not that I don't love the word beauty. I think that sunsets are beautiful. I think that so much around us is beauty. I, I love aesthetics. I am an aesthetician in that sense. But I don't want us to describe health and wellness as somehow marginalized into an appearance. It's also a feeling. Perhaps you're not judged as particularly beautiful by your society externally, but you feel you are, and therefore you are. And I I really, I know we're on that track, we're getting there, but I really want us to double down on that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, we touched on this a little bit. You know, you've been in the industry for several decades, and you've seen the birth of clean beauty, and you've probably seen some of the clapback happening now around fear-mongering, you know, just take one look at Carolyn Hiron's Instagram, you know, the greenwashing and retailers sort of, you know, frankly cashing in on the clean train. So how do you feel about this whole evolution of this conversation? I think in in pretty much everything in human behavior, it's almost like the pendulum. You know, you swing, it swings all the way to the left, then it has to swing all the way back to the right until eventually it will settle in the middle. And that's where we're at right now with that whole, the sustainability with clean beauty movement and greenwashing, et cetera, everything you said. We, we go all the way from one side all the way to the other. We go from overpackaged, completely overpackaged product in cellophane and boxes and, and everything around it. And the packaging has to be thrown away after, after you know, a month of use and 
And now we're going to go all the way over and we're going to see completely minimalistic packaging that perhaps won't even secure the product. You know, it'll burst or it, it will degrade. We'd, who knows what we're going to see as people try and get on that bandwagon. Eventually, it will come to the middle where we get sensible approaches to all these disciplines. And, you know, right now we're in a pretty crazy time. And I say, you know, just watch, wait, listen, pay attention. Again, don't take yourself too seriously, but take your work very seriously. And let's make sure that when we go out with education to our clients, our consumers, our audience, Mm -hmm. we're going out with real education and not just fear-mongering. And it's not just amongst people on social media. I see it on the evening news. You know, you see fear-mongering. There's one way to present a story that makes it cataclysmic. Mm. 800 people are admitted, you know, to this situation or another. And then there's another way to make it so optimistic. It's 800, whereas last month it was 2,000. Oh, well, that's a good that's a good result. Yeah. So we have to share the whole story. We have to say, this is what we believe. And this is also a counterpoint argument. You have to see the mm-hmm. whole spectrum. One of the challenges we have now, I think, in our overconnected world is we can start to be in an echo chamber where all mm-hmm. we're hearing are voices that agree with us. Mm-hmm. And that bolsters us in our belief and trust in what we heard. And in fact, what we need to hear is also the voices that disagree with us Mm -hmm. and make us challenge and question wow I really thought well maybe I should rethink that even just a little bit we need more of that Mm, yeah break out of the algorithm everybody algorithm's the enemy Mm -hmm. break out of that have again space at the table for every Mm -hmm. voice we need to hear all of it because somewhere we'll reach that middle point which is exactly the sweet spot of where we should be yeah I'm curious because education is the backbone of your company. And in dermatology, there in the past couple of years, it's sort of come out that there has been like biases of the education because it's mainly all the testing has been on Caucasian skin and they haven't really been looking at people of color. And that's had widespread impact. So I'm curious, you know, with your own education, like how that has sort of factored in. Dermalogica as a global brand we have a slightly different lens because we are sold around the world. We're in over 100 countries. And within three years, typically, we're the number one professional line used in that country. So we have feedback from every country you can imagine on what products do well, what products don't, what the feedback is, what the consumer feedback is. We're always addressing and we're very careful to address both visually and in writing all skin conditions, all skin levels of pigmentation, all genders. It's, it's not a binary of gender. So we, you have to be inclusive. And any company, anyone who's hearing this, if you have an ability to have an influence on inclusion, look at your language, look at, you know, even on the binary of gender, if you're saying, you know, women or men, why is it not people or skin? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have to genderize everything. If it's on the basis of pigmentation of the skin, are you being fully inclusive? And is your education inclusive? Do you know? Do you understand? I mean, for example, very simple, when people say blushing and you're thinking, oh, it's like pinking or reddening on the skin. Yes, on a Caucasian skin. But what we're really talking about is an increase of warmth to the skin through blood flow because that will actually appear on a more heavily pigmented skin as a darkening of the skin, not necessarily a reddening of the skin. So all these are things which are just practical, I want to say common sense, but they're not until they're pointed out to you, do you realize, 
wow, I didn't really think of that. We talk in skincare about broken capillaries, the broken small blood vessels that are visible in Caucasian skin because you've got that transparency of light through the skin, but not visible in a darker pigmented skin and yet still happening. Mm. So we have to understand that. We uh, we can't think that sunblocks are only for Caucasian skin because Caucasian skin burns in the sun. Any skin becomes more heavily pigmented and can burn from the infrared or ultraviolet rays sunblock is for all skins and we have poor information out there and poor awareness and I honestly think it's the awareness I think half the time people aren't thinking Mm -hmm. you know we just had this whole conversation in the last couple of years about when you say normal hair what does that mean Mm -hmm. what the hell is normal Mm -hmm. you know what Mm -hmm. the heck is it you need to describe it differently or in the word nude yes yes in makeup exactly we Mm -hmm. could you know band-aids you know being that pinkish color, yeah. for mm-hmm. example. And why is that? There's no logical reason why. And we have to just point it out. Mm-hmm. And I think once we point things out and you don't normalize it, then we can start to correct it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people might say, well, you know, that's a trivial point or that's, that's not an important point. It is important because if we continue to accept things, then we normalize them. And if they're normalized, they become the standard. And, and I think we have to start pointing out things that just don't make sense and, mm-hmm. and are not inclusive. And in fact, the contrary, they're exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And our final question is, if your mom could see you today or flip through the pages of your book, what do you think she'd have to say? Oh, thank you for that question. I think my mom would say something along the lines of, you've done very well. I'm very proud of you. Don't let it go to your head. And she would be right. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at Breaking Beauty Podcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday.